0: Future of Finance
1: podcast,
0: where finance finds its future.
1: Hello everybody, I'm Dominic Hobson, co-founder of Future of Finance, and I'm delighted to moderate our discussion this afternoon. Security token markets need issuers and traders even more than investors. How long, O oh Lord, have I cried unto the unanswered, asked the prophet Habakkuk back in 600 BC. Two and a half thousand years later, we're still awaiting the arrival of divine justice. Let's hope... We don't have to wait that long for the marquee security token issue that will tip the security token markets into a sustained period of exponential growth. I know at least one of our panelists thinks we've already had that marquee issue. But luckily, what the security markets needs is a lot less demanding than divine justice. They need investors, of course. Uh, they need issuers even more. And what they need most of all are traders. Uh, these are more important than issuers and investors in a way because it's issuance and the traders and the liquidity they bring Which will attract more issuance and so create more liquidity. Security tokenization, in short, is suffering from a familiar form of impossibility. The prospect is alluring, the solution is obvious, but the problem is the absence of the solution. Now to help us find ways around this trilemma, I'm joined by three experts in tokenization, in fact five experts in tokenization, who from their very different perspectives have been addressing the need to find issuers, source liquidity, clear regulatory obstacles, and get the token markets going. Ola Fransom is head of the CSD function at STX, the integrated digital asset issuance, trading, settlement, and custody platform, owned by Six Group, the Swiss financial market infrastructure provider and operator of the Swiss stock exchange. Lars Holst, who worked for many years in the FX markets, is the founder and CEO of GCX, which he founded to meet the growing demand from financial institutions for access to Cryptocurrencies. Mark Smith is from uh, Symbiont uh, and Douglas Borthwick joins us from INX uh, Limited. Now, I'd like to start our discussion by um, asking the the basic question here. We're going to talk about issuance, we're going to talk about, uh, about trading. And my question, and it can be summarized really, is where are the issuers? after all, tokenization ought to be a bit of a no-brainer uh, for the uh, the issuers. They've got reduced issuance and listing costs. Uh, they've got access to a wider uh, base of investors, which should make their capital cheaper. They also, hopefully, will get lower asset servicing costs. Their corporate actions will become easier and cheaper. And They also get much greater flexibility in the instrument itself. They don't have to sell ownership rights. They can sell Slugs of profits or slugs of revenue uh, uh, and divide the ownership rights from uh, access to uh, the revenues themselves. So my question is, where are these issues? A lot of the issues and and bear in mind, this is this is an area of the marketplace where uh, uh, data is um, uh, difficult to find. Accurate data, comprehensive data is almost impossible to find. What I've been able to look at, I find that a lot of the issues have been more like private placements than than IPOs, particularly in the US. They've been Reg A, Reg D issues, rather than equivalents of of initial public offerings. A lot of the early issues, this is changing a bit now, I know, have been for token infrastructure providers themselves, uh, looking to fund uh, their own businesses. And uh, we've seen issues in real estate, Some of those are a bit less than meaningful. In other words, what's getting tokenized is not the asset itself, but the the income stream. Debt has been highlighted as a very interesting uh, and potentially high growth area. Uh, We hear a lot about the EIB issue uh, uh, April last year, um, which was a tokenized bond on a public blockchain. But even that uh, seemed to have many limitations. We've heard a lot about privately managed assets, private equity, private debt, uh, we've heard a lot about collectibles. Uh, fine art is one thing. Uh, we're now even starting to see moments in sport. Uh, but even that seems to be getting captured by NFTs rather than by the security token markets. Uh, lastly, and I, I did a webinar on this last week, uh, tokenization of the mutual fund markets have, uh, do seem to be getting going. Now we've got a couple of uh, startups uh, who are having some success in that area <coughs> actual funds being tokenized um, in Asia. So I'd like really to throw this question um, first at, at um, perhaps Olaf, you could kick us off, but I'd like, I'd like Henry and, and Douglas to, to contribute to this as well. Um, how difficult is it to find issuers of security tokens?
2: Well, SDX did that first bond um, back at the end of, of last year, and we were lucky enough to have six group as the issuer. Um, and you need that volunteer um, to be first. Um, for the investors, ultimately, those bonds ended up in normal portfolios at normal banks, You know, particularly in Switzerland, where, where we have universal banks and uh, clients have both their, their checking and banking and their securities um, with the bank. We needed that for everybody to see that it could be done. And for other issuers now to come to SDX and in conversations, I'd say, yeah, we'd like to do another bond. Um, it's a while before those, you can pick up all the, um, the benefits of issuing bonds. I, I think if, uh, if you were to misuse uh, the phrase by Rod Stewart, the first step is the dearest. Um, you have to ask the banks to set up some, some new infrastructure it, for the banks it's just a pain at the margin it's a pain in the neck to do but you can start to see that pressure you've got more issuers coming you've got issuers who come and say well actually what we really want to focus on is the whole pre-trade coordination part and I know uh, the primary part, and Mark will have some words to say about that um, how does the issuer get together with the banks and the syndicate to say yep yeah, this is the deal we want to do who's taking how much that this seems to be with the issuer saying, I also need you to do that. So yeah, um, slow train coming, but you have to take that um, first step would be would, would be my point on that. And I'd also say from looking at the other things that are floating around in and around STX, there's a lot of interest in debt, of new instruments of different flavors of, for example, um, supply chain financing, uh, corporate, uh, um, commercial paper, which Mark talked about in the uh, in warm up that, that you're seeing. So we needed the signal. That's got people interested um, and there's more to come.
1: Thanks. So Douglas, you're, you know, you're the chief business officer uh, at INX. Uh, you're based in New York. You've got this cryptocurrency trading platform. You've even got a, a digital asset broker dealing business inside the firm. You've got an automated trading system. You've got an inter broker. You yourself have this long background in in FX trading. Um, Am I right to be um, less than than uh, optimistic about the the difficulty or ease and difficulty or difficulty of of attracting issuers?
0: I think you're wrong. Um, The issuers the the issuers are staring are staring us in the face. You know there are a lot of public issues already that are trading on exchanges or ATSs. There's 13,000 companies that trade on the OTC. Now the SEC said about a year ago that they see all assets moving on to the blockchain. So there's 13,000 issuers right there. And we're working on a factory that's going to take them and do a token for equity for token swap and then list them on our exchange. So that's something that's pretty exciting. But on top of that, the other, the issuers are out there, but you need to use imagination. There's only so many real estate companies that want to tokenize an asset. You know, we've got a sports team that we announced a couple of, uh, Months ago, uh, ALK Capital owns um, a Premier League soccer team in the UK, Burnley, and uh, we're going to do a raise for those guys and do a security token for them. That's going to be pretty exciting. And that's someone that's got a heck of a lot of people that want to invest. You talk about how do you get people and how do you get liquidity? Well, you list things that people want to trade. If you list a $20 million piece, dollar piece of real estate and you only sell it to accredited investors and it's only a 1,000 of them or 100 of them, there's not going to be a lot of trading. But if you list things that have an underlying that's volatile, let's say against gold or against oil or Bitcoin, these types of things are going to have volatility. There's going to be a lot of people following it, and there's going to be a lot of excitement. I'd say we've got about $3 billion of issuances that we're expecting to do this year, with the Premier League being one of them, Um, but but there's a lot more um, of interest. And I think that what you need to do is you need to find out how do you thread the needle? You know, there's different tax uh, jurisdictions all around the world, and people pay tax for crypto and they pay tax, different tax for securities. And If you can have a security that gives you the same sort of benefits that crypto would or the same movement, but at a much lower tax rate to certain countries, that's going to be pretty interesting to people. But I think that a lot of the time, imagination hasn't been put to work. I think people looked at security token and said, well, that means it has to be securitized by something. Let's do real estate. And the way we look at it, you know, Inex, we did the first ever IPO. Of a security token. Uh, we raised $85 million from 7,250 people in 74 countries. And we did that because we wanted to prove that if you can get retail involved from day one, then it becomes very exciting. Now, we talk about Reg Ds a lot in the United States for private offerings, but I do think that Reg S is going to become much more important. You know, With the Reg S, you can sell to retail you know, around the world outside the United States. And so I think that you're going to find that there's a lot more Reg S A lot of of companies will come out with Reg Ds, but they'll come out Reg D, Reg S, so they can only sell to qualified investors in the US or accredited investors. But outside the US, you can sell to absolutely anyone, uh, as long as they pass through the KYC, AML, and and come from the right countries. But I think that that's going to be sort of the, the moment. I mean, I see liquidity being there when you have retail involved. And how do you attract retail? How do you attract the audience? Well, you have a cryptocurrency trading business, cryptocurrency, everyone knows. Security tokens, it's a bit of a mouthful still, and people have to get educated to it. But once they come into my shopping mall because they want to trade Bitcoin, or they see me at the Daytona handing out a trophy, then they come in and they say, well, what are these security tokens you're offering? And every security token that I offer is going to have a community attached to it. Whether it's 600,000 people or a million people that already are familiar with the product or the company, that's the type of thing I think that builds community, builds uh, uh, trading uh, volumes. But also builds uh, interest in what you're doing. I think I think that early on, guys that got into this space thought, you know what, we'll list we'll list some real estate, and that's going to get a lot of excitement. But it doesn't get a lot of excitement if it's only sold to accredited investors. You need to have something that's going to sizzle. And if you don't add things with sizzle, then you're not going to be successful in this business. Mm-hmm.
1: Thanks, Douglas. Um, Well, the big, the big. Well, in
3: the U.S., there's a huge problem with regulation. And Dominic, you start off by saying, "When are we going to move away from private into public, something more of an IPO?" Well, there's a huge restriction in the U.S. as it relates to the form in which securities take in order to go public. They have to be DTC eligible. There is no no such. That's
0: true. The Inex token is a public security with a full F1 prospectus sitting in the Edgar database. We're publicly reporting. Uh, we do not do anything with the DTCC.
3: So that's not an S one filing. That's not an IPO. F1. That's a, yes, that's an alternate. That's an alternative to one so traditional.
0: A, an F one is a foreign filing, as yes. opposed to an S one being a domestic filing. Correct. But we did it. we did the first ever IPO in the United States of a registered security on the blockchain.
3: And that security is not considered a traditional issuance in the U.S. under S one, as you just described. Right, so if you're looking for a wave of issuances, right, we have multiple rules and regulations in which we have to address in order to be able to attract those similar things. For example, if you want to expand to retail, you then need broker-dealer networks in order to facilitate retail. Uh, or you to can facilitate
0: onboard retail directly
3: onboard retail to a registered broker-dealer in the United States who's registered to sell public securities. Right? Right. We, we need ATS. I'm not saying you're not, Douglas. I'm saying this is what's needed to get there. Right, So so INX is a teeny little drop of something starting, but it's not the way in which you get a wave to crash over and to be really something where tokenization actually becomes real. Right, And so we've been working on this since 2013. This was our first use case when we started Symbia. We spent three years in the state of Delaware changing the law so that the place in which you incorporate in the United States is the place that actually governs the rules and regulations of your security. So 85% of all companies incorporate in the state of Delaware. So Delaware law was changed so that a blockchain distributed ledger could be the sole books and records of a company. You could file there and incorporate there and create any any structure. right? So from that structuring in the US, then you need to take the next step of, okay, now that I can legally do this How do I do it in the form of a securities offering? Whom can support those securities offerings? What kind of infrastructure exists? How does it get promulgated against the national market system? And if you don't have a security at the DTC, it's not part of the national market system. So you're in a secondary part of the market system. So what we're really saying is, is that there's a lot of of, of barrier in order to be able to actually start issuing these things wholesale, transitioning them from one type of promulgation, uncertificated un- dematerialized securities, or in the worst case, an actual physical certificate into a token-based solution or a smart security, as we call it, and then have that execute through the national market system, right? We're, n- we're nowhere near that infrastructure creation yet, and we don't have enough participation, and we don't have enough incentive, right? When you When you look at... What's happening and where the money is flowing in our marketplaces, the money is is clearly flowing into the crypto world. It's flowing there through the VCs and the infrastructure and all those pieces because it's a direct access point into distribution. If you look at what we're trying to do in the securities market, there's very little incentive because as Dominic started off, it's hard to quantify what the real savings are. It's hard to quantify what that's going to mean across different types of assets. Debt is very different than securities. Now we have the new securitization of physical things, and I think you're right. We were very distracted by things like real estate, which was never going to be big. That's never going to be the largest market, right? You have to have sizzle, as you said, Douglas. You have to have issuers who want to come out and issue real things at size, too. And markets, you know, small issuances isn't really going to help this move. You need size issuances and the traditional size to be able to go out and and execute. And and the bigger issue we have is, is that now on what markets will this operate? Because now you're trying to build out markets that are compliant. And in this case, you would need an ATS uh, if we're talking about trading these new securities, right? So that's a trade against a regulated ATS. And that means that the regulation around it right, as a BD connecting into and all those AML KYC pieces gets you farther and farther away from the core constituency that trades aggressively in crypto. So we want to say there's an analog between crypto and security tokens, but there's really not. There's a huge differentiation in the middle. The crypto market is a global market, which is operating relatively unregulated in a way in which any potential trader can go access these types of, of instruments and trade them. Whereas In securities, you have geographical regulation that you have to deal with. So country to country is looking at them differently. So we don't have a global issuance that everyone can swarm around and create global liquidity. You have liquidity broken up into pieces. And then you have the underlying infrastructure, which is being operated in the crypto world through blockchains in which there's incentives around staking or mining. And then you look at which of those solutions can be used compliantly in the securities world. And that's a very difficult Thing to answer at the moment. So then, the platform itself, if you move to something like we offer, which is an enterprise version that doesn't have crypto economics, now you have to have incentives for participants to run the nodes to create a decentralized environment to be able to issue onto natively, and then in turn be able to transact from there. So there's a, a large amount of barriers that, that are created in order to get there, not to mention, how do you settle from a cash perspective? Olaf can answer that from finality, right? The big 800-pound gorilla is you've got a security token on a ledger. How Where's the cash portion? Where is the consideration for the transaction? So we don't have enough actual cash that we can use to settle at the moment in a legitimate way where we can have a fulsome network with a lot of issuers and traders, new issuances and actual a way to transact and settle these things. So there's a lot of work to be done to get from here to there. And I think it's actually needs to be done by the institutions first, because the institutions will create the infrastructure that in the future you can layer retail on top of. So you know, we started with someone like Ford. So we did a pilot with Ford for a $1.3 billion ABS that was completely automated issued by Ford directly to investors um, in, a, in a new structure where it exists natively on a blockchain and is executed as a smart security which means that it automates the cash flow process through the through through finality. We're now going to do a live issuance of commercial paper and again institutions are looking at this and saying what's the, le- the lowest level of risk So commercial paper is a short issuance right what is something that we can distribute to institutions without a regulatory issue right? commercial paper or something like that. And then how do how does it work? And how do we then distribute it and how do we then layer from there and grow? So it's it's a huge issue. It seems obvious when you look at it, but then when you start to peel the young and it gets more and more difficult as you go.
1: Mm-hmm. Thanks, Mark. Um, I'll come back to that institutional point, but I'd like to bring Henry in at this point. Now Henry, you're, you know, you're the CEO at Fusang, you're a full service exchange. For tokenized securities and cryptocurrency, your license is regulated in in two jurisdictions. You heard Douglas say that one of the ways to bring liquidity to the securities markets is through that cryptocurrency um, enthusiasm. Uh, You heard Mark say something slightly different. But give us a a, a perspective, an, an Asian perspective, if you like, on what's really happening in security tokenization. because I'm sure it'll be different from what's happening in Europe and the U.S.
4: Absolutely. No, thank you, Dominic. And um, first things first, I think I am the only person here uh, representing Asia. And I'll caveat everything I say uh, by the fact that I have very little knowledge of how U.S. securities laws work, uh, except to know that it is very, very complex. Um, maybe just a little bit of background about Fusang as a group, because I think that we think about uh, a security token markets quite uniquely and sometimes quite controversially. Um, you know, Fusang. Uh, I, I think similar to a lot of people exploring the security token space, realize that you really do need to provide a more holistic ecosystem than what a lot of traditional exchanges are looking at doing. Uh, to us, it is important that we can be, uh, issue, tokenize, list, trade securities uh, beyond just what a traditional exchange function might do. Um, and I do think that it is very important to try and blend both the traditional world of capital markets and securities, and I'll talk a little bit about what that means, uh, while also grappling with this whole digital crypto world and etc. Um, maybe talk a little bit later about how we put together some of these pieces and the infrastructure but I think one thing that we've done very uniquely is, um, I agree, retail participation is absolutely important. I don't think you can have a market that functions without retail flow. You have a lot of institutional markets that exist in the world, but most of them at some level are layered upon retail access. So most of the flow in a market might come from an institution, But I do think you need some degree of retail flow to make everything go round. And that's why when we were first looking at the space, I was very, very clear uh, that we needed to build an actual stock exchange. We needed to be able to take very traditional looking securities, bring them through a very traditional looking IPO process, turn these into public companies where they could then do retail offerings of their stock. I personally think security tokens as a broad category, are some of the things you mentioned, Dominic, um, you know, let's call them investment contracts, derivatives, et cetera very, very interesting. My personal feeling is that that will not be the first step in the security token market, that we need to begin with instruments that are simpler. And um, I'll, again, caveat this by saying, I think there'll be lots and lots of dimensions of the security token markets. We will be tokenizing commercial paper. I know of a lot of people here in Asia actually doing some very interesting things around real estate. These are all very unique asset classes, markets, unique features. But if we're talking about flow, the sizzle, as you say, the retail investors, um, the, the really big numbers, the way that actually we've begun to be used to in the cryptocurrency markets, I think that that will come from equity offerings and it will come from companies that have those stakeholder bases, as Douglas was saying, companies where people say, yes, I would love to be able to buy the equity. I cannot buy the equity today or I cannot buy it in a digital format that I'm used to. And if this is the way I won't even really care about the technology, I'll just care about the access that I can get. I think that um, it's very easy to I think the security token markets often, it's very, very dangerous to build products that then go in search of a solution. I think we see that all the time. Uh, I think a lot of us come from capital markets backgrounds and we have ideas of how the market might be able to better function. And so we try and build that and hope that we can then fit that into the world and that there will be demand. And I don't think that's always the case. Um, And I think that what we need to look at in the security token markets is to start by learning from actually the cryptocurrency markets. And I believe that um, at least when it comes to these kind of publicly traded tokens that we're talking about, um, we need to be able to understand what are the drivers of the cryptocurrency markets today while layering that on top of very traditional-looking securities. So can we take an equity of a company, a normal share, issue that directly on the blockchain, not as a stable coin or as a derivative of investment contract, while still being able to open up access to retail investors using some of the same principles that you are used to in cryptocurrency markets. B2C access is one, completely agree with that. The ability to trade directly, to be able to transfer assets around. Uh, I think these are all some of the, I wouldn't call them principles, but I think some of the key drivers that have made cryptocurrency markets so large today to the point where I think they are unignorable. Again, I'm sure everyone on the panel knows this, but maybe for some people in the audience, I suspect that people from traditional finance or as we like to call it, don't fully understand how big the cryptocurrency markets have gotten and how wide participation has been. 24 months ago, quite frankly, crypto was a fringe curiosity. Today, here in Hong Kong, for example, where I'm sitting right now, uh, if you're under the age of 25, 50% um, 50 of your investment portfolio is likely to be in cryptocurrencies. If you're under the age of 18, 100% of your portfolio is in NFTs because you can't buy anything else. And I don't think that you should underestimate just how much crypto and NFTs and et cetera have exploded into the public consciousness. That said, and I'm pretty sure all the panelists here would agree with me at some level, the crypto markets are very messy. When you look at the kinds of assets being traded, again, you have Bitcoin, Ethereum, fantastic. When you start to look down that list on coin market cap, very quickly it becomes a bit more adventurous, let's say. Uh, And I do believe that being able to offer just very boring, understandable securities like shares, equity to that market is the way to go as long as those shares are in companies that people really, really want to buy. Uh, so I think I agree with you, Mark, you know, it's it's real estate, maybe not the answer, but I don't think it's it's the asset class. I think it's offering a token to investors and saying, I've got a 4% yield or whatever it happens to be. And we know this from firsthand experience because um, end of well, 2020 now, uh, we were trying to issue a bond. Uh, you could call it commercial paper, which had a construction bank um, effectively as a short term three month US dollar deposit on their balance sheet. Uh, paying 75 basis points a year, USD yield. Uh, and back then, everybody got unbelievably excited in the fact that we could tokenize something like that. I guarantee you, if we were to try and issue something like that today, nobody would care. Nobody would get out of bed for 75. Yeah. Bits. Uh, everyone no. wants to trade Bitcoin and get crypto yield. So well, I bit- guess what I'm trying to say is we've got to blend those two worlds. <laughs> yeah. Mark, could if
1: I, those- can I just, Mark, could I just sto- gonna stop you a minute? Because I, I can see it's a, a fun discussion. But I just wonder, we're getting some questions starting to come in now. Um, and I also wanted to give Lars a, a chance to, to to say something as well. Uh, and on the questions, um, I, I obviously encourage everybody watching and listening to to put in questions. Use use the Q and A to to send in your your questions and comments as we go along. But Lars, I'd just like to, to I'm going to come back to you, Mark. I'd like to to bring um, you in, Lars. Now we've had a question here actually from Paul Dowding, where he says trading of any securities, particularly bonds, requires a financing borrowing market to complement it. Basically, repo is the source of liquidity in the bond markets, as he's pointing out there. But current blockchains cannot record future-dated obligations as payables and receivables, and usually rely on smart contracts, which are algorithms that only wake up and process fully paid-for long transfers. Aren't these some of the problems hindering liquidity and trading? Lars, I don't necessarily need you to address that the, the technological question, but it seems to me that that um, trading this ought to be very attractive as a trading market. You've been trading crypto for a while now. Um, the opportunity to trade equities if you like um and debt round the round the clock use those cryptos as collateral uh to, to paul's point there um you get more more asset classes to trade you're going to need less capital and cash to do it um the kind of liquidity depends upon upon people like you um what is your view of the security tokens markets are they an attractive trading opportunity yet and are they are they one in future in theory something you're going to get really involved with
5: I think actually, if, if I was to choose between the the, the three panelists, I'm, I'm probably more uh, siding with with Henry on this one. I think the the first two panelists uh, they they probably highlighted to me at least that this is uh, really complicated uh, from a regulatory point of view. Uh, and I'm I'm sorry, I'm I'm not an expert in, in U.S. regulation and legislation myself, but but it's it's a minefield. Uh, I I was uh, fortunate enough uh, last week to to uh, announce that. You know, uh, I sold uh, part of my company to one of the, the investors in, in Sandbox. And, you know, uh, Sandbox, uh, GTV from, from Singapore, uh, in, in case you missed it. Uh, and, you know, they are all over the place with NFTs. Uh, so I'm, I'm educating myself. Uh, I have a course actually tonight with them on, 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 on NFTs. And, you know, coming <clears throat> from the, the strict regime from, of the FCA, And the 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 guidance, they they continue to uh, have these consultation papers. I'm sorry to bore you with the the legislation and regulation, but you know, security tokens, of course, uh, is a MiFID instrument. So, so we just fall under we have to be super careful uh, me at least uh, under the fca and that's probably the biggest uh, problem i have that uh, to to you know really uh, flogging uh, uh, security tokens because i would i love anything weird and wonderful that can move and the clients they can trade but i think some of what uh, some some panelists probably thought should be on a security token i actually think it should be moved over to an nft then it's an unregulated product, much much easier to deal with, and then you know, hardcore regulated instruments should probably remain as a security token. And I actually also think that um, instead of issuing uh, something weird and wonderful, uh, why not take traditional products, as you say? You know, I, I coming from traditional finance, uh, CDSs or or. Uh, coming from the UK, uh, you know, where we have grown up with CFDs uh, for years and years, uh, as uh, the leverage, uh, you know, an instrument instead of trading the the underlying, uh, that that would be a shoe in for me to to move the whole CFD trading world over c- to a security token. I think that's really what what the new generation they want. As as Henry he said, in in Asia, uh, you know. By virtue of GTV, um, I actually also have an office in, in Singapore as of last week. So uh, out there, they, 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 it's, they're more, you know, how to say open minded from a regulatory point of view. It's also easier to get into the fiat rails. Uh, I, I, again, I don't know how easy it is to get uh, high street banks in the US. I can tell you in the UK, it's close to impossible. Uh, you need to go to mainland Europe, Germany, Switzerland. Uh, or uh, in, in, in Asia, it, it's also quite uh, easy actually. So I think security uh, tokens trading on, on you know, traditional instruments, uh, to me at least, from a broker point of view, uh, makes super uh, perfect sense. Uh, and I think we can also see the volume. And as, as the broker, at the end of the day, I make a living of, of the, the volume and, and the broking. Uh, it's, it's, it's not super interesting for me, to list something that's super illiquid, uh, aching penny stocks, where you know I, I can't make commission. I'm, I'm sorry to say, you know, that then we're back to it's it's uh, the first uh, panelists that that you know have it in make make it interesting. You know wh- where they are involved in the issuance and and the whole value chain. But for me, uh, as as the broker, FCA regulated uh, and on the FCA crypto asset register, by the way. I, I, of course, need something uh, that moves and, and where there's volume. Uh, also, as, as Henry said, uh, I, I also get asked for listing uh, weird and wonderful exchange tokens, you know. And I always look at the uh, you know, coin market cap or something like that, top 20 coins. It's like in foreign exchange. Uh, you know, a lot of people, they'll come and ask, you know, for... for uh, local markets, ruble, Mexican, and then you ask them, you know, how much are you going to trade? Well, I might trade uh, two trades a, a month. Well, sorry, sir, you know, it's not really worth it. Uh, and and seventy percent of the business, if you just cover euro, dollar, sterling, and yen, maybe some Swissy today, then you have ninety-eight percent of the volume covered. Okay, then leave the rest uh, to, to some specialists out there. And I'm, uh, I, will, I will have the same approach on, on the security tokens. You know, I'm sure there'll be some, some, some penny stocks player or whatever they'll be called in the future. And then I guess uh, I at least uh, w- will need to focus my energy on where I feel it's transparent, where I'm comfortable with the underlying AML and, and, and KYC. Uh, and and of course where I can make some some commission uh, at at the end of the day and that of course is a function of of volatility and and, and volume. So sorry, that was not exactly your 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 question, Dominic. But I, I just thought I would just uh, no no, it's it, it's my very One of the
1: one of the points you're making is about is about building bridges between the world you're trading in now and, and the world we could be trading in in the future. And Olaf, perhaps you could address that in a minute. Before we do, could I put to ask Douglas and Mark to address this question, which has been raised by. Andrea Tranquillini. It's originally for Mark, but I think Douglas, you'll have thoughts on this. He says, if most of the companies are now incorporated in Delaware, and the law has been changed, is what you were saying, Mark, what would be the trigger for tokenized issuance? Is the DTCC lacking readiness to handle securities tokens? So Douglas, perhaps you could answer that by saying why you didn't bother with the DTCC. And Mark, you you could address Andrea's question more directly, you know, is the DTCC an obstacle here?
0: You know, we went to the New York Stock Exchange and NASDAQ. We said we got a full security. It's digital. We'd like to list. They said, look, we're not we're not ready to. The DTCC, I guess, is kind of like uh, it's the the kitchen and New York Stock Exchange and NASDAQ, I guess, are the restaurants. Um, so we had to bypass it altogether and list it on an ATS that we bought. Um, and a lot of digital assets have to go with that, right? Because the DTC is not fully prepared yet for, for what's happening and, you know, Yes, we miss out on the ability to access all of the networks that happen when you go through a national exchange. But if the national exchanges are ready, then maybe the network has to change. You, know, you, don't, you can't put us put a square peg through a round hole. And I think that in the future, maybe you don't go through a broker and then go onto an exchange. Maybe you just deal with the exchange directly. And I think that you know that, that's certainly the way that people are trading crypto right now. And uh, that's certainly, you know. I think how a lot of people are looking at it. And so our view is, look, let's just onboard people directly. We'll bypass the DTCC if they're not ready for us. And, uh, you know, sometimes you don't have to worry about the current system. The current system certainly has a lot more breadth and a lot more distribution. But sometimes you've got to change that and you got to change the way the distribution happens if you want to be successful.
3: Yeah, that's, I mean, he, Doug, Doug listed it the exact right way, the, the only way. Um, the DTC isn't ready. The exchanges aren't ready. The custodians aren't ready. The brokers aren't ready. No one is ready, at least in the United States. I can only speak to the United States. There is no institution or part of the current system that is ready, period. Um, and then there are different pockets of effort to change things. The DTC has two uh, initiatives going on right now in which they're looking at this technology and how to potentially do something. Um, one purely in the private markets that they're driving themselves, um, where they're looking at how do we get private securities on a distributed ledger and, and as a test market to see because it's less risky than public securities on a, on a distributed ledger. And then you have Paxos kind of leading the way with a no action letter where they're in fully S1 securities, a, a small group of them with a small group of institutions um, and a small amount of volume, settling trades in a shorter period, but they still have a DTC account that's part of the process. So this is all just baby steps into what may be something bigger. Um, but but you know we see the Delaware law eventually clashing with federal rules and regulations because there is a requirement if you're going to be a fully S-1 listed security in the United States, part of the national market system, you have to be DTC eligible in the form of your security, which really means you have to take the true property right ownership of a private company, cede it to seed and co all property rights. And then in turn, they reissue contractual rights back to the companies through the custodians and the broker dealer to the end investor. So that whole structure. Is, is designed to try to create electronic records, and, it's, and it requires centralization. So coming with a decentralized concept really dramatically changes everything. And then when you start to talk about, well, then what's going to be on those ledgers and what's the first issuances? And then, Henry, when you think about 18 to 25-year-olds, you're exactly right. The problem is outside of that top 10, as Lars pointed out in the crypto world, those would all be considered highly speculative penny stocks in the United States. They wouldn't even be in the national market system. Most of them would be in the OTC space, even downlisted. And so therefore, you couldn't use it as collateral. So the idea of a sushi swap or a uni swap or any of these things that happen in DeFi absolutely unequivocally couldn't happen in the U.S. because you're leveraging a penny stock to buy a more risky penny stock. That just doesn't happen. And then- there's the whole AML KYC and the prudent man rule where the broker dealer and Douglas, you know this, right? Has to has to be responsible for the traders. And you have to stop people from doing things that may hurt themselves even if they want to do them. So those who could trade these very speculative stocks if they became security tokens would be limited. So those 18 to 25 year olds probably wouldn't be able to even trade them because they wouldn't get past the initial the, their, their initial process of AML KYC. So there's just so many things that exist Douglas is 100% correct. We have to scaffold up a new marketplace from the ground up with with INX and others and we're going to have to build systems and processes and have it as a you know basically a competitive marketplace to the, to the traditional market and then over time you could see issuers move because of the value from the current systems to the new systems. But that is a long process and I think if we look at crypto and say well that's where we want to go We're probably never going to get there because those crypto issuers spend all their time saying why they're not a security and and absolutely fight hard to say they're not a security. So they avoid these rules and regulations. And Lars, the problem we have with NFTs now is in the US, they're looking at them and saying, "That's that's an investment contract. So you don't have to call it a security, but that's an investment contract. Therefore, you fall under securities rules and regulations because you're only buying that NFT to trade it in the future for
0: value. If and I could so, add to what go ahead, go ahead, Doug. um you know one thing we don't talk about here is custody and custody is something we need to get around as well because you know there's no qualified custodian for digital securities you now there is for digital assets like Bitcoin Ethereum you can go to Fidelity and do your digital custody there but not for digital securities and qualified custodians need a qualified custodian is needed if you are a real money fund in the United States you want to access that kind of capital you need you need finner in the SEC to figure that out so what we did is we use MetaMask wallets. And uh, so it's more of a decentralized approach where you custody yourself, your securities. Um, That's one way to get around it. And then the the thought is, well, that doesn't sound very secure. So we did it with an erc 1404. And the nice thing with doing an erc 1404 is if you lose your MetaMask wallet or you lose whatever wallet you're holding it on, that's fine. We can revoke from that and we can risk you on another one. Because as the SEC kind of explained to us, you can't lose your 401k in a boating accident. And so if to get around custody, I guess, we we worked with uh, the the right kind of smart contract whereby we made it such that it's almost unstealable, the actual token. Um, And so custody becomes less important. But this is kind of how the infrastructure is changing. It's almost like the way that the rules are set up in the US, people say we can't work with the right, but you can. You just have to find a way to, to thread the needle. And it may not be advantageous today compared to, let's say, the national system, how things are set up. But I'm guessing when Henry Ford came out with the first car, there probably weren't that many gas stations, but it didn't mean that he went out and bought all the blacksmiths. What I'm saying is that sometimes you come out with a new technology and you just have to drive your own path and you can't rely on the path that was used in the past because soon it's gonna be in the past. So I think Coinbase was asked once when they got that hundred billion valuation, would you buy the New York Stock Exchange? And it's kind of like asking Henry Ford if he'd buy blacksmiths. Why would he? It's a new technology. And this is, I you know, how things are driving forward. But I don't. I think a lot of folks get tied up in the way things are done today, without realizing that you know we're trying to change that paradigm.
2: I'd say think- on that that you know we're going to, to Mark's point, we, we've got to have interoperability in terms of coexistence of CrowdFi and, and the new stuff. Um, what we're able to achieve here with SDX recently, with the with with the bond issue and having a, a digital CSD and a digital exchange, meant that underneath the hood, um, the banks could distribute product to their customers without having to do anything massively differently. So I think to Mark's point on evolution, that's exactly the, the kind of situation you kind of like that says we'll, we'll let some of the things exist as they were and we'll change some of the parts so that um, we can take steps forward. Uh, and I think as we see more issuance of securities tokens, particularly in the debt markets here. Um, and we, our, our debt markets are probably, I know Henry made the comment about when you get 75 basis points, um, debt markets in Europe are slightly advantageous for new products because we've got negative interest rates, um, which of course you guys don't suffer in other parts of the world. And there's a big, you can see a big tug of war between clients and banks at the moment. Wealth management clients go to, the, go to the bank and say, why am I paying negative interest rates? It's like, well, yeah, because we have to pay them too. So they're looking to replace cash balances with securities. So you need some kind of short-term financing instruments. Back to the thing that Mark alluded to about commercial paper that feels like it's not it's not such a long-term investment that you, you wouldn't do it now and give it a chance. So as you see some of these things coming together, I think that that coexistence allows us to take some small steps um in there because the banks aren't going to throw out all this infrastructure um, overnight
1: um, Olaf Olaf, what, what about um the, the point which Lars was making about building bridges and in fact we've had a question from a member of the audience Anton Grin who says it's a question for SDX but others can comment as well you know what about sooner or later plans technologies bridges from securities to CBDC to asset tokenizations DeFi. Crypto. How do you link these presently siloed markets up? We've talked about Henry talked about this, uh, Douglas talked about this about how crypto is a natural source of liquidity for security tokens. Are you kind of how do you make it happen? How do you build bridges? What are you how What are you thinking at SDX? Olaf?
2: So um, Well, so there's stuff that will be issued natively. Then there are you can go and look at other bonds that have been issued and say, hey, can we? make them available on on another exchange that's that's one that's one possible bridge that you go and collect up instruments um, that uh, that have already been issued so I think um, I think Douglas at the beginning talked about a, a an equity for token swap that you you take the old instrument turn it into a new one put it in a new marketplace and, and try and give it some sizzle that people will trade it that's one way um, and the other one is the one I was uh, uh, alluding to that you take You take an instrument that has been used a little bit, like commercial paper, short-term funding, but in a narrow, to a narrow audience, and you put in a new marketplace, make it more widely available. On the link to CBDC, yep, if CBDC comes along, then inherently you will have marketplaces, custody, means of payment, and you're gonna need to connect up those three things. it seems like the central banks will focus on wholesale CBDC, which will be a good thing. Um, however, they need to do a lot more than just that. They need to change the access rules. Um, they need to deal with all the cross-border issues. And then it starts to get um, very useful uh, in terms of single pool of liquidity cross-border collateral um, that's in there that, that and people, may, people may trade more when that happens, but I think we're a little ways off the wholesale CBDC part yet. At this point,
1: can I ask if there's a there's a bit a couple of questions here which makes me think there there's a technical issue here. Um, uh, Ralph Kubli asks: in order to understand the instrument of security tokens, I need to understand the cash flows. Where are the where are the cash flows described? It takes me back to Paul Dowding's question about. Um, current blockchains been unable to record future dated obligations as payables or receivables because they're using these smart contracts so a long only bond is you know, sitting there the smart contract knows to pay the coupon you know twice a year for the next next 10 years but it's difficult to to value these instruments if you automate that process of it i think that's what 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 paul is saying and therefore it's difficult for people to trade them it's difficult for asset managers to buy them because they they can't work out the match with their with their portfolio, which was a point Andrea tranquillini was making. Um, asset managers need to buy assets which match the risk portfolio, match their liabilities, basically. Um, and that again depends upon the, the secondary market valuations. Is there a technical problem here actually of, of understand valuing these things, but you can't see or predict the cash flows? Mark, is that is, is there a technical problem or is it just they're just our audience is just wrong about that.
3: Well, it depends on the platform you're using. Yes, there's a technical problem if you're using Ethereum or or Solana or something like that. No, there's not a technical problem if you're using a a platform that's designed to do exactly that, right? So we call it complete replayability. So issuances that occur uh, on a blockchain in which you can do a direct issuance and then store the information about the security on the ledger while keeping it protected with cryptography And only allowing counterparties to that particular instrument to be able to decrypt the information about the instrument itself. So the commercial paper issuance we're doing or the ABS issuance we did as a a pilot with Ford two years ago, we actually published the full investment document onto the ledger. Um, So I'm not going to pitch Symbian as, as a platform, but our platform does have the ability to store all data on the ledger rather than just simply storing a hash. If you store a hash, then it requires that information to be stored off the ledger to a third party. That then creates third party trust. And then you have to actually go to that third party to see what that instrument does, which is the that's being asked. If you can store that information on the ledger itself, when you enter into a transaction, you then can decrypt the details of that instrument, see if that instrument fits your you know, portfolio, see when those cash flows will be paid and how they'll be paid, and then negotiate on a bilateral basis to trade that particular security. So when we think about trading of these instruments, I I think they're going to start first on a peer-to-peer basis. We think the best instruments to trade first as securities are naturally OTC and ones that are currently in markets that use phone or other type of messaging system that isn't completely electronic. Because to deploy a fully electronic solution into a marketplace in which you have competing entrenched solutions makes it extremely difficult. So if you find areas, again, like ABS or or commercial paper, which they're pretty much manual processes and make them digitized, you bring value and you don't have any disruption of moving systems out in order to be able to implement new systems. So, but to answer that question, yeah. If you store the information on the ledger and have complete replayability, you're fine. And if you don't, it creates a problem. Mm
1: -hmm. Now we've had a, um, uh, Henry, perhaps I could ask this question to you. You said a, a few minutes ago that If you're under 18, I think it was 100% of your investment portfolios in in NFTs. Uh, Mike Housel has sent us a question. He's sent us a link to this story about a young man in Indonesia who posted a 1,000 photographs of himself uh, on OpenSea uh, just for a laugh and pitched them at $3. They're now selling at $12,500. So he's kind of become an accidental uh, millionaire isn't this exactly the type of thing on one hand you could see the growth in nfts over the last year or two as being very positive for the security token markets but on the other hand if, if something goes wrong here um it, it could become uh, an opportunity for regulators far from making these markets writing regulation make these markets work more easily could actually stop them before they even really got going do you ever worry about that
4: I worry a great deal about the fact that uh, for a lot of people, and again, under the age of 25, a uh, large portion of your investable portfolio in places like Singapore, Hong Kong will be in NFTs. I worry about the fact that people do not know what they're actually buying. Uh, I think NFT as non-fungible token, you know, distinct from fungible token, the technology makes total sense. And the idea of using NFTs to represent certain kinds of assets that should not be intrinsically divided, like land title, makes total sense. I don't think the average person has any clue what they're buying when they buy an NFT. And the fact that you label it using the technology is worrying in and of itself. That's like saying, hey, what did you invest in? And you said, oh, I invested in a stock. Which one? I invested in a stock. (laughs) Uh, You know, no one is looking through the underlying asset layer. We should be calling these things ART tokens. Not least of which is because I don't think people realize there's often no legal or contractual link with any kind of underlying asset it may represent. Um, but I think you bring up a really interesting point, which is um, you know, I think, Douglas, you mentioned the Coinbase listing earlier. OpenSea announced a few weeks ago that they are pursuing uh, an IPO in the US. The fact that you have all of these major crypto platforms looking to list on traditional markets, on national security exchanges in the US, to me, the answer to at least the, the mainstream thrust of security tokens uh, lies in trying to understand why that is the case. I think that um, maybe just a bit of definition, uh, You know, people can and will apply various kinds of blockchains, public or private, and tokenization to a lot of asset classes. In many cases, this is going to be done by effectively trying to digitize existing systems and workflows. Uh, the ASX in Australia is a great example, trying to swap out the backend settlement system for something based on the blockchain. We'll see how that all works. Um, But that's really more of a a digitization of workflows. What I think crypto has shown, and again, really should be an unignorable fact at this point, is that there exists the possibility of a radically different paradigm for how people begin to think about, let's call it investing. And I won't get into the semantics of whether or not buying a non-security or or NFT is investing, but just how they're choosing to spend their capital and hoping to make some kind of financial return. Uh, Crypto, I think, has shown us that capital markets can and will follow the exact same business models that every other industry in the world is following. So when you look at the way that, I don't know, people sell shoes online these days, it's all B2C. I go direct-to-consumer, I communicate direct-to-consumer, I don't need to usually deal with layers and layers of intermediaries, uh, and I want to be able to touch a consumer that in some way is intrinsically interested in my product, meaning... Uh, customers don't walk into a department store anymore and buy a shoe just because it happens to be there. They can find whatever shoe they want to buy somewhere in the world and buy exactly that. And you can probably tell I don't buy a lot of shoes because I have no idea how how the shoe market works. Um, But again, you know, the fact that people like Coinbase or OpenSea are even thinking about listing on traditional stock exchanges using paper shares after having raised private VC money even over the stern objections of their own communities. When Coinbase did the listing, when Open Finance is looking at doing the listing now, there's many community revolts where people say, what are you doing? You say tokens are the future, where's yours? Again, I think that until you talk about marquee issuance, Dominic, until you see a major crypto company want to actually tokenize their shares directly and choose to list Digitally, instead of using paper shares, you will not see mass adoption of security tokens. To be very transparent, you know, Fusang Yes, today. Sorry, my, everything's blurring a little because it's been a busy period. But yesterday morning, uh, we announced that uh, we were in the uh, we that we received approval to do an IPO for ourselves, for our own company. Um, and, and to me, the, the interesting point, or at least our very unique view, is that um, the tokens we've issued directly represent shares. So these are not tokens that map to a paper share somewhere else. These are not investment contracts or derivatives. Uh, the token does the, effectively represents the share certificate. And through the blockchain record, we construct the register of members of the company in real time. So if you're a token holder, you're the direct legal shareholder in our company, as you would have been if there were paper shares. Again, I think this op- this, this uh, is a rather unique view, <laughs> at least in our market. Uh, I hear a lot of people on one hand in the crypto market saying we are moving to a post-security world. No one's going to buy equity in companies anymore. And I think that's nonsense. Uh, but on the other hand, I also think that we do need to move away from just trying to digitize traditional capital markets flows. Uh, we do need to rethink how that actual infrastructure works in the first place. And as I said, I think the answer is in trying to blend uh, traditional securities in the sense of, I think the first things we digitized are shares, mm-hmm. bonds, funds, just very simple, very straightforward, straight equity with no complexity, easy to understand, has to be equity in exciting companies, but blending that with understanding how crypto works, trades, and how communities are built. Or at least I think that's our view, right? And one of you going forward, again, I get that. The U.S. is a lot more complex, I think, than some jurisdictions out here in Asia. Um, Maybe just one final thing. I actually think that some of our advantage in Asia comes precisely because some settlement infrastructure is so antiquated. So the DTCC in America, I think, is actually already an improvement over a lot of Asian markets. Uh, You have countries like Hong Kong, where companies have to have physical paper shares. I don't think people realize that. Stamp duty in Hong Kong is stamped with a chop. And until you stamp an uh, instrument of transfer, title does not transfer.
3: From the post so, office. You have to get exactly. it from the post office, Henry. You have to get exactly. it from the post office.
4: Uh, and then we, we, we know these things well, because some of other group companies do this for a business. We run companies, sectarial firms. We run 8,000 Hong Kong companies, I think. Uh, and actually, because of that infrastructure, I think we've almost been forced to just totally leap to rebuilding that market infrastructure from scratch. So I completely agree with what Mark says. I do think you need a stock exchange, right, or the equivalent of what America would call national securities exchange. You need to have a venue where you can actually take companies public and all of that sort of regulatory process and even the instrument you're tokenizing like a share, Honestly, I don't think that's where the innovation should come. I think the innovation needs to come in terms of how you face off against your customer, how you provide the same customer experience that people are used to from Amazon. And I really think you need to make it as easy for people to invest into a company as it is to buy their products online. Otherwise, I'm not entirely sure where the innovation is.
3: We we, we built a platform for HKEX in 2016 and competed with multiple others, um, To deliver a private market solution, to hang off the exchange, Um, we were forced to be able to create a a certificate that's printable from the ledger. So we did that. You literally could pull up a full stock certificate and and the, the smart contract populated it for you. Then you would print it with the hash at the bottom. So cryptographically, you knew where it was in the ledger the post office had to run a node in the network as he said because they everything requires a postal stamp which is analog so we had to find a way to electronically do all that right and then to be able to then access a market in which there was an unknown supply of issuers and so after we did all that we won the we won it then HKX said yeah we're not going to do that now <laughs> there's no market yet and it's too difficult and we moved on now in and tw- 2021 they started again looking at the market in a new way but yeah it's Every single geography creates its own issues. Um, I really think that looking at the crypto market is not the way to look at it because the securities market isn't going to be the crypto market. And I think Douglas is exactly right. We have to build something new and innovative that addresses the securities market, but it has to all be within the regulatory paradigm because regulated entities must participate. Right? When we use the word security, what you're saying is, is that there's a regulated infrastructure that has to go along with it. And, and you're not going to convince traditional regulated entities, especially custodians, and we work with a lot of them, to, be, to go all in on something in which, from regulatory regulated perspective, could ruin them. And so you have basically a standstill by, these new, by, the, by the, all the existing ins- institutions, and then you have all the new ones, like Douglas, doing all the hard work and building it out uh, and, and trying to make a new solution. So it's not an easy problem. It's not going to get any easier anytime soon. The technology is there. To me, the one word is will. What entities have the will to now take this forward as a new market? And I think we don't have enough of that yet.
1: Which issue, for this is, to and be. Which, which issue is, and which investors, and which uh, dollars, which trading firms. Um, unbelievably, we've already been talking for an hour and I still feel we're skating on the surface of all this, but but, um, I'm happy to run over for 10 minutes or so, because it's a very interesting discussion. And I'd like to end really by asking about this point about about regulation. But before I do, Douglas, could you just, and this is related to the the regulatory point. Um, Antoine Grin's followed up and he says, well, this isn't just, this is the guy who was talking about building bridges between crypto, DeFi, Mm -hmm. security tokens and so on, CBDCs. Um, He says it's not just, it's about technology of liquidity bridges you know, in the way that DeFi is working um, or, or, or could work, that you could issue a security token that could become pledgeable as collateral inside a DeFi uh, liquidity pool, for example. Do you think that, that that there are purely technological ways of starting to generate liquidity in the security token markets by linking up with the cryptocurrency markets and, and with DeFi, or do we kind of have to wait for regulators to, to make clear we can do that?
0: Well, DeFi is a dirty word when it comes to regulation, right? But but I'd say that there's a lot of DeFi companies that are now coming to companies like mine and saying, look, we want you to whitelist, uh, go through a KYC and an AML process. Folks are, that then can come in and then we'll do a pool of folks that have gone through a KYC AML within this DeFi area. And that's a little bit like how Bank of America set up today, right? I mean, you put your, your, your deposit money in and then they lend it out to someone that's completely anonymous to you at 15% on a credit card. So it's like a centralized, decentralized way, except the difference is you don't get that 15%, you get 0.2%. DeFi works very, very well, but it's strangers dealing with strangers. And I think it's going to be very hard for someone like myself to get involved there other than on a KYC AML type type thing. But DeFi is good in the sense that you do the the, uh, custody on your own wallet. So I like that. Um, But I think that it's going to be very hard to also take a security token if you're doing a, 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 like a public security token, you're probably going to have it on a whitelist because you're not going to allow it to be sold to random people. Every single person has to go through a whitelisting process. And so DeFi has a tough problem. If you put your ERC-1404 into a DeFi thing, you say, OK, I want to sell it to some random some rando. That rando also has to have gone through the whitelist process, too. Now, it can certainly happen. And that's fine. It it happens very, very few. DeFi is successful because it's strangers dealing with strangers all around the world constantly. When it comes down to security tokens, whitelisting is going to be very, very important. And It wouldn't surprise me a couple of things. One, if the US government says, look, if you want to hold crypto and trade crypto, you've got to whitelist your wallets with a registered exchange, whether it's a securities exchange or a crypto exchange in the United States, because the US right now sees they don't have a problem with Bitcoin. They get a problem with people having Bitcoin and wallets that they don't know about. It's like Swiss bank accounts to them. It doesn't, doesn't really work for the tax guy. The other thing is NFTs over $10,000. I think there's going to be a crack down there because the old days, if I wanted to move $50 million from Colombia to the U.S., I put it in a plane and uh, you know, it was, it was hidden. These days I do a squiggly JPEG, uh, create an NFT and then bam, the 50 million is in my pocket and I can sell the government. This is how I got it. I, I made this, this painting. And so, You know, there's going to be a NFT today remind me of 2017, the ICO phase where it's crazy, it's exciting, everyone's talking about it, and then it just kind of blows up, deflates, and then regulation comes in and sort of starts to build it back up again. So, you know, I think that what you have to take away is that regulation, whether you like it or not, certainly in the United States, is here to stay. You can't, it's not, this isn't like the Facebook model where you go out there, you break it, and then you fix it. When you break it with the US government, when it comes down to financial regulation, it's really hard to fix it again. Now it takes patience, you gotta be a tortoise, you can't be a hare, but you know, as, you, as you build these different building blocks and you, you start to create an ecosystem that all is within the regulatory structure that exists today, then I think that you end up with a pretty good sandbox. And I think that what you find is a lot of institutions in the United States did to do the Facebook model, they ran out the door, as Gensler said, they're listing hundreds of tokens that they see as securities, And that's going to be a problem for a lot of, uh, you know, guys that are very successful today. No Q had a great phone for a while and now everyone has an iPhone. Um, you know, I remember using Netscape as a, as a kid at Carnegie Mellon. Nowadays, everyone uses Google. Like there's first movers that go out the gate. Everyone thinks you're never going to get past them. And then, you know, moods change, uh, things change. And suddenly the, the, the also ran becomes the big player. And, uh, but you've got to stay within the regulatory structure and i think that regulation's moving towards companies like mine um and uh you know it just takes patience
1: okay now we, we've run over time here but let, let's 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 um end the discussion by by addressing this regulatory point you you've made some very apposite uh points about it um douglas maybe i'll ask each of you to give us some thoughts on regulation we've had Questions from the audience, Mike Halsell says, how can regulators be brought more up to speed and better able to provide suitable regulation? Um, uh, Michael Kavitz has said, um, in terms of regulation, what are your thoughts on the DLT pilot regime plan for market infrastructures in Europe? Andrea Tranquilini says, the DLT pilot regime is a business inhibitor. Though I do agree with the ambitious path set here, regulations like the sun, you see it every day. So there should be a way to go around it or reshape the market. Um, as one of the panelists seemed to, to indicate. So people recognize regulation. And what my, my question, I suppose, is this. There's a kind of sense in which the security token market is waiting for regulation to catch up with it and say, it's OK, you can do this, you can do that. And then everyone's clear, Issuers are clear, investors are clear, traders are clear. On the other hand, if something goes wrong here and the regulation becomes very heavy-handed, it could cast a blight over this market. And maybe the market never gets going because... Um, there's been some expensive accidents which have cost investors money and the regulators kind of advertently or inadvertently stamp it out. So, Olaf, perhaps I could start with you, um, regulation, because Switzerland has passed token regulations, token laws even. Yeah. Um, and uh, tell us about the Swiss experience and whether you think that has relevance for the rest of the, the world, including the United States and, and Hong Kong.
2: Um, so yes, yes, we've been pretty good with the, the DLT securities laws, which really say hey you can you can issue stuff um, native native to blockchain and that counts as a security. You don't have to get your chop out and go down to the, the post office and, and and do all of that. Um, so far that hasn't particularly led to a rush of issuance really in the, the 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 sizzle type stuff that Douglas was referring to earlier. So that that per se hasn't massively changed um, the way that securities are issued. So I I see more prospect coming from um, that new instrument type of area, like commercial paper that we we talked about earlier, that that those will be used. I I don't think yet that the law change has massively changed behavior.
1: Lars, is um is 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 regulation an inhibitor for people like yourself? Do you like cryptocurrencies because they're unregulated, and feel cautious about uh, tokens and DeFi because they attract regulatory attention?
5: Well, I wouldn't say that. You know, uh, uh, exchange tokens and, and and crypto coins are not unregulated anymore. We have to be registered. On the uh, UK FCA, you know, the crypto asset register. And I think the smoke from the consultation papers from ESMA uh, there and also the recent, uh, well, the uh, consultation from from the FCA is that uh, it will probably be more and more uh, um, aligned with, uh, well, standard uh, regulatory frameworks. Uh, and again, coming back to the original security token consultation paper, I think it's pretty clear that uh, they see it, you know, it's, it's hard to think of a security token that is not uh, deemed to be a MIFID instrument uh, under the current regime. And that's also why, uh, as, as I think, uh, Douglas said that, that it's, it's you know, the the work to get it approved is the same as, as, <laughs> as a traditional instrument. Uh, so it Again, I can only refer to to uh, the UK and the EU, my my two uh, home regulators, and, and uh, I'll say that they're not making it easy. Uh, so I think um, uh, I'm sure uh, there are other regulators out there. I think in in Hong Kong, Singapore, and elsewhere, where they maybe have a, a more light touch approach. And I also think this whole uh, NFT frenzy that we have seen. Uh, probably uh, is primarily uh, taking place in, in Asia and, and to an extent also the Middle East. Uh, again, uh, I simply don't think anyone, I would not take the risk uh, with the current regime in, in Europe at least. Uh, I would get uh, need to get clear guidance on, on each NFT. Uh, would it fall under the security token camp or would it be a utility uh, token? Utility token, I would actually... Be somewhat comfortable uh, working with and and uh, uh, trading, but uh, the 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 ones that would just have a slight hint of, of security token I wouldn't touch. I simply could not take the risk. And I think for, for the people that on, on, on this call that really uh, have security token issuance and, and you know distribution uh, for you know as, as their main business, uh, I I really hope for, for everyone. That uh, the regulators kind of will will uh, talk to you and, and listen to you, uh, and, and to make it easier because it, it really deserves. I really think that that this is the future. I, I think even though today I, I think Henry as well, we probably make a lot of money and, and we have a good living of, of uh, Bitcoin and exchange tokens. But I really think that the next wave uh, will have to come from the security token space. But I'm um, um, with. The, the regulators uh, that I'm working with, I, I can't see we're, we're there yet for this breakthrough, unfortunately, but I'm, I'm really looking forward to it because it, it will also benefit my business immensely.
1: Can I just speak, make, make some clarify something with you, Lars? Are you, are you, you, you're saying that the regulators in the UK in particular haven't made treatment of, of NFTs, um, for example, clear, but are they being responsive when you say we'd like to trade these things, but we need some guidance from you and you're not getting that guidance? Uh, I, I can tell you at this point in time,
5: I wouldn't even dare to ask them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. So, you know, the, the just, just stay, stay focused on, on what you do. Uh, make, make sure that, you know, it, it works within the existing guidance and, and framework. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I'm not going to be first move on, on asking them for anything. Oh, well, this this, sure. this
1: Douglas is exactly what I, I, I was concerned about, that the regulation creates a climate of fear in which nobody does anything. Is that a, a risk? No, I do I, I,
0: Well, it's a climate of fear if you've already been caught with your hands in the cookie jar. Um, but it's not a climate of fear if you're generally interested. I mean, we spent 950 days with the SEC because when you, when you do, you know, that a sounds very
1: expensive, Douglas. And it was
0: expensive, yeah. But but you know when you when when you do normally a prospectus in the U.S. you copy and paste if you're a fintech firm the risk factors from the one that just did the IPO before you it's all copy paste copy paste copy paste and 90 days later here we go um, not a thing that we had in our prospectus that had ever been defined before and so we spent a lot of time sitting there and discussing through what is a blockchain what is a smart contract what is a wallet now I think you're
1: educating the regulator.
0: But, but but yeah, but you have to in this space. You have to because as soon as a reg, reg regulator is educated, guess what? They get hired by someone else. They get <laughs> hired by the private sector, and and so you need to have patience. You need to because you know just because you understand blockchain doesn't mean that the regulators do, and they haven't traditionally hired from that area. And so you have to be patient. But I think that if you do sit down with them and you do talk to them, and you're very patient, then you do get the results. But I think that there's a lot of folks that don't want to sit down with them because they fear that they're going to get fined. Now that'll happen if you've already been out there doing business. We kind of talked to them all before we went out there to do business.
1: Uh-huh. Mom, but I don't I don't
0: think that Lars is coming from a point where his
5: hands in the cookie jar. No, no, no.
0: I, I focus I, I, Lars focused no. on a specific thing. You throw NFTs in there, why would he bother?
5: Exactly. And the doctor, I, 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 I completely and, and you know, I'm, I'm not saying anything negative about any regulators, but, you know, uh, if, if you spend 900 days on, on, on something and I appreciate it, you know, I, I guess I'm one of the smaller guys on, on this call. So I, I have to kind of wait for someone else to do the first move and kind of get clear the path. We, we have actually responded to a number of the consultation papers and we we're actually in the process of getting a license in the EU via Denmark. Uh, As well, where we're also participating on some on some consultation. Uh, And uh, no, no, we have not done anything that we shouldn't do, I I can assure you, but uh, it it costs money. Of course, there's big rewards if you get it right by being first mover, as someone said earlier, but Uh, I'm I'm just not uh, that person. So I'm I'm waiting for someone to kind of get clearer guidance because I I guess we can agree on, it was even yesterday, there was another consultation from the FCA on on, uh, marketing uh, or promotion actually of of crypto assets. So the the smoke isn't necessarily white, uh, if, if that's the right phrase coming out. Uh, it's always a bit uh, hazy, if you will. So I'm, I'm sure someone will will clean the air before we move, and then uh, we will have an easier living. Because you know what we do today, yes, it's, it's good business. You, you can actually make a good living out of it. Uh, and you know, we, we it's just a very narrow focus uh, that and a narrow path that we have to stay on to to not yeah uh, you know, do anything that we shouldn't do.
1: Okay, we're we're sort of about 15 minutes over, but I'd I'd like a, a final thought on this from both Henry and uh, 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 and Mark. Um Henry, it's probably getting a bit late for you. So why don't why don't, why don't you go first and tell us whether you think um regulation is going to cause a blight or is actually going to be the factor which enables the security token markets to take off.
4: Since it is late, I'll keep it short. I um
1: Plenty late for you. I've really people enjoyed being got here. Hours to go. Because
4: uh, very few people I think actually dig into a lot of the technical aspects of security tokens. Um, so this is the best panel I've been on in a long time, I can say. But I um so I want to rehash what other people I think have said and maybe offer something a little more thought-provoking, which is I think the single barrier when it comes to regulation for security tokens is that there has not been enough willingness from regulators to regulate. NFTs and ICOs. So certain types of assets. The honest truth is that if I am Aston Martin today and I want to fundraise and someone comes to me and tells me that I can sell a picture of a car with no legal or contractual rights and no liability and I can get money, it's awfully hard to say no to that. And so all of the, the promises perhaps that people were hoping security tokens could bring have been washed out a little and issuers haven't come because they say, well, why don't I just issue an ICO or an NFT? And the honest truth is that at least in most jurisdictions, enforcement risk on issuers is very, very low. In 2017, here in Hong Kong, the SFC were doing dawn raids on issuers' officers shut down two people, and then it all stopped. And yes, there's a lot of focus today on regulating intermediaries, which is what I think regulators know what, how to do best. But until they start looking at the actual asset layer and saying, hey, most people when they buy the NFT, they think they're getting some kind of legal contractual right. They're really not. Is it really safe that people are investing such a large portion of their portfolios into art? Again, nothing wrong with you want to buy art, but is that a real investment asset? I don't know. And until they actually step in and are willing to enforce on issuers, I don't think you'll see the security token market really start to take off in a big way. Uh, I, I agree, Henry. You, Mark,
1: because <laughs> what he is saying is that bad tokens drive out good ones. If you exactly. like, unregulated tokens drive out regulated tokens.
3: There you go. I wouldn't use good or bad because that's subjective, mm-hmm. right? People are making money with these things no matter what they do. Um, so I, I wholeheartedly agree with with Henry in that. the the preponderance of money is flowing into that space, right? If you look at the VC dollars, you can see the massive amount of money flowing in that space and almost no money flowing into the security token space. If you think about the technology and and from an interesting perspective where this technology works the best is actually not in a singular non-intelligent token that just gets moved around for trading purposes. It actually works the best when there is some kind of sophisticated workflows that are involved in which you can automate those workflows. And something that then in turn improves the back office function or removes the back office function completely and automates the security through its lifecycle. So you have savings there, right? And so when you think about infrastructure and savings and all those pieces, that's where this technology really shines, not in speculation. And so the reason the crypto markets are where they are today is because people don't want to trade securities. (laughs) They don't want to be embroiled in the rules and regulations that prevent them from doing what they want to do, and it's sold as free market utopia. Um, But we all know that it's not because these markets are concerning to say the least um, and the way in which they operate in lack of infrastructure, lack of rules and regulations to ensure fair markets. But when you're on a global basis, it's easy to overlook a $100 million hack in one wallet and another $100 million hack in another and a fork over here because here comes the next one that I can get 10x on. So I'll just cash that one out and go to this one and get 10x. That doesn't exist in the security token world. So, the the excitement, the sizzle, the sexiness, all the co- all the money is flowing into a different marketplace. And so when you when you stand still and say, the the rules and regulations are clear, right? This is something that's always concerned me about our market. Saying that these rules are unclear, that's just not true. They're absolutely clear. The people saying they're unclear just doesn't want to don't want to abide by them. They don't like them. So they say they're not clear, but they are extremely clear. And it's been said over and over again how clear they are, which then freezes traditional institutions from doing what they know they should do, which is drive security token infrastructure. And instead, they're building infrastructure for crypto markets because, as Henry said, no one's enforcing. No one's attacking the crypto markets. To add crypto to your securities trading application is easier than issuing a security token and trading it. And it shouldn't be, but it is. And so when I'm looking at it as a business operator, am I gonna build out a broker dealer for securities tokens or am I gonna build out a crypto trading application? Well, it's not even a question, right? The the path to easy money is in the crypto trading application. So the things that we're trying to do as a group here, we're trying to reimagine common market infrastructure and reimagine global regulation and how we view securities in a fair and clearly defined marketplace. And that is a big issue when you're dealing with something that is very dramatically different, driving huge returns. And the, the, when the asset class's value proposition is speculation, and that speculation continues to prove to be valuable, as an institution, I'm better off investing my money there Than taking this risk to say, yep, we know these are securities, we know the rules, and we're going to do these things inside that and risk being enforced against if we make a mistake versus going over here where there's very little chance of enforcement and a lot of opportunity to make money. So, you know, this is going to continue until hard enforcement occurs in those markets, which then make people say, oh, wait a minute, I've been trading penny stocks without any kind of protection and that's risky and I shouldn't be doing it I'd rather have the protections of a of a structured market in which I know the rules and regulations and how the game is going to be played when I play it and you know I said early on in 2014 2015 there won't be an Uber event in this market and I was wrong there was an Uber event from a from a financial regulatory perspective in crypto where the regulators basically just got run over and at some point, it was too much to attack. And things like Ethereum were created as clearly a security, but they had to say, "Nope, it's not a security anymore because it's too big to fail. <laughs> and that's the reality in the US around these very large cryptos. So we've got a lot of work to do. Um, if we're going to build this infrastructure, you got to you know take a lot of lumps and spend 900 and something days with the SEC like. Like Douglas did, you know, I, I don't even know how many days I've spent with the SEC starting in 2013 and all the way to today. I mean, starting with the transfer agent rule and, and moving forward. And then institutions uh, and new associations like Adam, of which I'm a founding board member, the Association for Digital Asset Markets, where all we do is communicate with regulators, global regulators, about the value of these markets and, and how they potentially could become the true new market infrastructure. But we've got a long way to go, and it's going to take a lot of will and there's going to have to be some trigger for incentivization to drive how this gets built out because the incentivization of the crypto market is undeniable i can either run the infrastructure and get paid as a staker or a miner or i can trade on top of it right or i can issue these things you know with impunity so with those as the competing for the capital to build this out that's a hard competition and we have to find incentives to drive these markets to grow from a regulatory perspective and fit and create the new paradigm as we scaffold it up against the existing one.
1: Thank you, Mark. That's a great note to end on. I'm, I'm envisaging in my mind, a regulator climbing out from underneath the bus labeled ICA, which ran them over. And they're gonna wake up and they're gonna be both forceful and they're gonna be entrepreneurial and they're <laughs> gonna uh, help these security markets, social security token markets take off by getting that side of things right. But I think we really must stop there. We've, we've run well over time now. Um, I'd like to thank our panelists, Ola Fransson from SDX, Lars Holst from GCX, uh, Douglas uh, Borthwick from uh, uh, INX, Henry Chong from Fusang and Mark Smith uh, from To Thank you too to our audience for your questions and your comments, uh, but for now, it's goodbye from the six of us.